0: to say what a joy it is to be here with you guys this morning and I don't say this enough but you guys are really special to me and I am really thankful that we get to come together twice a week, sometimes more, to see each other, to encourage each other and uh, it's nice knowing that you guys are here for me and yet you are here to encourage me and encourage one another, and uh, it's just special to know that we have this kind of bond together. It makes me very happy. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, so let me set the stage for you. So on Wednesday... I talked about how God is seeking people. And so I encourage us, you know, let's, let's go out there. Let, let's, let's go help God do the work of, of seeking the lost sheep. So, so you did that. You worked up your courage to talk to, you know, Joe from accounting or, you know, that kid you sit next to in class. And uh, I guess we don't have any students in here, so that doesn't apply. But anyway, you worked up your courage to talk to somebody. And you, you do. You say, you know what? I'd really love to talk to you about God. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. And what they say to you is, is probably something along these lines. Uh, a lot of people would say, you know what, I just, I have a problem with religion, uh, with, with churches. You know, because I've just, I've heard too many people, I've seen too many examples of, you know, churches. And they're not interested in, in me they're just interested in power and in getting more people and, and filling their building. And you got, you got these, these ministers, I mean, and they're, they're not interested in helping people. They just want money. They just want the power. They just want to exploit people. And, you know, they can point to all of these, you know, the people, you know, ministers who are, you know, swindling their churches, ministers who are, you know, taking advantage of their people in a variety of ways. And they say, look, I just, I don't, I don't trust it, I, organized religion, it's just, it's, I, I, I don't want anything to do with that, and so we've got a few options. When you hear somebody say this, you go three, one of three options, really. You can lie, and you can say, you know what, that never happens. Yeah, there's, there's no such thing as a church like that, or you could say, you know what, yeah, there, there are churches like that, and, but you, you should really come to our church, because we're different from that, and I think second option is a perfectly legitimate option, but my, the third option is the option that we're going to explore this morning, It's just to really lean into it. And you say, you know what? Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is that you're upset that there are are people in the religious world that are taking advantage of their power, taking advantage of the people that are among them. And that that frustrates you. Well, it's it's almost as if we've been reading the same book because you know, I've been reading this book lately. You've probably never heard of it, it's called The Bible. there's this chapter about exactly what you're talking about. And so it seems like maybe you're concerned about something that God is also concerned about. So let's explore that. And that's what we're going to do this morning in Ezekiel 34. Let's read the first 10 verses. And we're going to be, oh, um, well, this is a Uh We're going to be discussing this morning Ezekiel and the selfish shepherds. And we'll start in the first 10 verses looking at the idea that the shepherds are bad. First 10 verses of Ezekiel 34. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there were no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, and they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth and none to search or seek for them. And I will require my sheep at their hand. And I will put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not uh, be food for them. So we see this, the beginning of this oracle that Ezekiel brings to the shepherds of Israel. And he says, you're doing a bad job. The sheep that you're supposed to be helping, you're not. The sheep that you're supposed to be leading, you're not. You're just taking advantage of the shepherds or of the sheep. And uh, yeah, I guess I started this a little bit in the wrong order because we started with application. We started with relevance, but really we need to understand the context of what this is saying. So, what? Who are the shepherds here? I think the shepherds are representing the kings uh, and before the kings, maybe even the judges uh, of Israel. These leaders that God raised up to take care of his people. And the vision that God had for his shepherds and taking care of his sheep, his people, was that the shepherds were going to lead them in the way they ought to go. Religiously and just in general, that they were going to help and not take advantage. This is the vision that God had. First, let's look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy, he's talking about the, the plan he had for the kings. He says, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up against his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandments either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in the kingdom, he and his children in Israel. That this was the plan God had, that his kings would be spiritual leaders and that they would know the law, that the law would be in them, and that they would be living examples for the people, good shepherds to lead God's sheep in the way they ought to go. Here's another text. This is uh, Psalm 78. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. with. Upright heart, he shepherded them, and he shepherded them and gathered them with his skillful hand. That this is what God had planned. This is what David did, uh, at least uh, per this psalm. And I think David was a pretty good shepherd in terms of kings. But as we can see here, not all of the kings. In fact, I will argue later on that none of the kings really lived up to the expectation God had. Instead of leading them in a good direction, what do we see? And we'll read verses two through six again. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. We'll stop there. This is the first thing that God has against the shepherds. They are taking advantage of the people. Shepherds are supposed to care for the sheep. They're supposed to take them to the good places, you know, lead them beside the still waters and the green grass, but that's not what these shepherds are doing. Instead of seeking the best for the sheep, they're taking advantage of the sheep. They're eating the sheep. They're taking their wool. They're just really doing a very selfish job of taking care of these sheep. And you can think about a number of kings that exemplify this. I'll give you three examples. First, think about Ahab. Okay, Ahab and his terrible wife Jezebel, who Ahab, he saw a vineyard that he wanted and he went to Naboth and he said, Naboth, give me your vineyard. And Naboth was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And then Ahab throws this big boohoo fest and his wife comes to him and says, like, oh, well, I'll get you the, the, the field that you want. So she goes into town. She gets a bunch of worthless men to say some mean things about Naboth, say he's committed a capital crime and they kill Naboth and they take his field because that's what Ahab wanted to do. He wanted the field, and he, he was like, I'll do whatever I need to to get the field because he had the power, he was able to do it, and so he did it. I think also about Athaliah, a queen of Israel, who also she had this whole family that she slaughtered in order to keep her power. That she was willing to go to great lengths, uh, not in a good way, to have power, because that was what she wanted. She was a corrupt leader. And finally, uh, and unfortunately, I'm going to think about David. David who saw Bathsheba, David who had Uriah killed, David who had a problem that needed to be addressed. And we'll talk more about that uh, in our second sermon today. But so many kings... They weren't interested in helping the flock. They weren't interested in leading them in the way they ought to go. They were taking advantage of them for their own benefit. They were selfish. And this is only the first thing that God has against his shepherds. The second is that they didn't help the weak, or gather the scattered, starting in verse four. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountain and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So the second problem is that the shepherds, the kings of Israel, were supposed to lead Israel in a proper direction, supposed to lead them toward God. We read those passages, but they didn't do that. I mean, you can think about, for example, maybe Jeroboam, or uh, yes, Jeroboam, who he wanted to retain power, and so he built idols for his people to follow. Lots of kings did that, but he's kind of the first that really... Uh, just led Israel astray. He was supposed to lead them toward God, but instead he led them away. And even the good kings, I mean, you can think about uh, Amaziah, for example, and we'll read a text about Amaziah right here. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, Yet not like David, his father, he did in all things as Joash, his father, had done. But the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. These high places are idolatrous spots, hills around Judah and Israel, where the people could go sacrifice to idols. And he didn't bother to go destroy them like he was supposed to. And so... While maybe he wasn't himself perpetuating evil, he wasn't going to seek the straying lambs. And this is the problem. Because God eventually, for all of the sins of Israel and later Judah, takes them captive by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and he spreads them all over. They were taken into captivity for their sin. And that's the kind of thing that would have been addressed by a proper shepherd, a shepherd who cared about the flock being scattered, a, a shepherd that cared about the spiritual health of his sheep. But instead, these shepherds were not interested in that. And that's the problem. Even the good ones, as we noted, three generations of good kings that weren't interested in fully going the length to bring the scattered sheep back. And God says, this is a problem. God says, this is what I'm gonna do. In verses seven through 10, as we already read, God says, you wicked shepherds, you selfish shepherds, you're out. You are not gonna lead my people anymore. Instead, I am going to lead them. That, and this is a point that uh, is Well, it's it's focused here. In other places, we get God's indictment against these selfish shepherds. But here specifically, the focus that God has is not on punishing the shepherds, although there certainly is that, but it is on rescuing his sheep. God wants to take care of his sheep. And so he takes his sheep from the selfish shepherds. He says, I will take care of them because obviously you are not gonna do that. And this is what we see in verses 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places they've been scattered. On a day of cloud and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and they shall lie down in good grazing lands. And on rich pastures, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So God says, you selfish shepherds, you're out. You you can't do this right. You're interested in yourself. You're not interested in seeking the sheep. I'm going to do what you never did. All of these lost sheep that have now been scattered because of the sins that you guys didn't address... I'm going to go into all of these lands and I'm going to bring them back from their captivity. I'm going to gather them where they ought to be again. And you guys, you were taking advantage of them. You were taking, you know, eating them, taking their, their, sheet, their fleece. No longer. I will take care of them. I will bring them to the good grass. I will bring them to safe places. I will gather them together. I will do what you never did. This is amazing. This is what God promises for his people. This is how he addresses the Problem. But we've got another problem that's going to arise here. A little hint of it in verse 16 where he says, The fat and the strong I will destroy. But here, in earnest, we get verses 17 through 22. In 23, we get something exciting, which we'll have to stop before we do there. So, verse 17 As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between the sheep and the sheep, between the rams and the male goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you've scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Okay, so we had these selfish shepherds. We got rid of them because they were not accomplishing God's purpose, and God says, I will shepherd my people. But now we have a new problem, and that is that even among the flock, there are still some big sheep that are taking advantage of the weak. And as we said before, the shepherds of Israel are are the kings that God put into these places. But we also have strong leaders in the community. We might think of the prophets or the priests that they themselves were corrupt, the judges. And if you'll turn with me to Micah chapter 2 and in Micah 3, I will show you what I mean. Here we have people who are powerful, who are taking advantage of the weak. And this is not going to fly. This is a huge thing with God that he will not let the weak be taken advantage of. Micah chapter 2, we'll read the first two verses. He says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and seize them and houses and they take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. He says, they're people, and they're just powerful people laying in their bed thinking, oh, how can I take advantage of my neighbor today? Just looking for an opportunity to oppress the weak. And God says, that's not going to work. He tells them in verse 5, you know, when, when I give the people back their land, you're not going to get a spot. God will punish these oppressors. In chapter 3, verse 5 where he says, thus says the Lord God concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. This is the description of the prophets, or at least a lot of them, that they're just prophesying for whoever will give them money. Whatever you want me to say, just give me some money, give me some food, and and I'll just make it happen. They're not interested in serving the Lord. They're just interested in, in filling their own bellies. Verses nine through 12 of chapter three. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, it's not the Lord in the midst of us, no disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountains of the house a wooded height. That these people who have power, they're oppressing it. They're bribing people, or they're, they're taking bribes. They're just oppressing the powerless, and they are interested only in themselves. And this is not among the shepherds. This is big sheep. This is strong sheep butting at each other, trying to hurt, trying to trample on all the good grass and take all the good water because they don't want other people to have it because they want the power. And God will replace the bad shepherds and God will punish, God will judge the fat sheep. But this is where it gets really exciting. Verses 23 and 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So. Here God says, I will set up one shepherd for them. But this is funny, okay? Because so far, everywhere, it's been, I will lead the people. I will do this. I will do this. I myself, I myself, I myself. Now, I'm going to set one shepherd over them. Well, who's it going to be? It's obviously God. But no, he says, one shepherd, my servant, David. So we've got some questions to answer. Okay, first of all, how can it be God and David. This is a major question, a question that people would have wrestled with. And yet, we understand, with the hindsight of of the New Testament, that Jesus came as God and as the heir of David. And so, we understand that Jesus came to be both David and God, to shepherd the flock the way that God wanted them to be shepherded. Okay, second question. David, I thought he was one of the bad shepherds. Yes, well, David, a better of the shepherds, but still... Did not live up to the expectation God had. His lying, his greed, he wasn't what God needed him to be. But we understand, I think, that there are two versions of David, let's say. So this is the historical David, and then there's the typological prophetic David. There is the root of Jesse, this coming Davidic figure that is making, that is what Jesus will be. So there is David, who was a man full of sin, and there is also a coming David, who will be the shepherd king par excellence, who will be what none of the shepherds, including David himself, ever were. A righteous shepherd who will follow in the path that God wants him to lead, That he will be what he ought to be. And that is the David we are talking about. Finally, I want to point out that this David who will lead, he will be one shepherd. He says, I will set over them one shepherd. And this is something we might just read past, but there's very much significance to this. Because Israel has not had one shepherd for over 300 years. Solomon was the last king who was in the United Kingdom. And then it was split and they've been split forever. But what God is saying is that when he replaces the bad shepherds with himself, when he gets rid of all these fat sheep, that there will be one shepherd again. His people will be united. And so, as we end with this text, and of course, I could read the rest of the chapter, but it's talking about the excitement of, of having God as king and the, the, the amazing uh, fertility of the land and the peace of the land. It's, it's good stuff. This is the kind of thing that we want to imagine, but... I want to take you on a so what journey, okay? So we've examined all of this. Now, what do we do with that? What do we need to understand? Well, first, I think we need to say, look, our friend who has concerns about corruption in the religious world, uh, yes, God is also concerned about that. And we need to say, look, yeah, that is a problem. People take advantage of God's people all the time, but God is going to do something about it. This is not something that flies under the radar of God. God is going to put a stop to their wickedness. He put a stop to the shepherds and he's going to put a stop to these fat sheep. That is what God does. He cares for his people. So that's number one. Number two is that this passage sets the tone for a lot of things that Jesus will do. And of course, we've been referencing it a lot, but I'm going to take you to just two passages real quick. John 10 is the first one. In John 10, we'll read verses 7-7 through 15. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Then Jesus said, I came to be the good shepherd. That before me, they were all thieves and robbers. They were all only interested in their own way. But I am the good shepherd. I came to give my life for the sheep. I came to take care of them. That is what Jesus came to be. And this is what I love. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you hear that? One flock, one shepherd. This is the passage that we read in uh, Ezekiel 34, 23. That God is going to set one shepherd over them, David. But then he was talking about uniting Israel and Judah. But here he's talking about even better uniting. a Uniting between the Gentiles and the Jews. There will be one flock and one shepherd and Jesus will be shepherd of them all. It's amazing. But this is one of only two passages I want to take you to. The other one real quick, Matthew 21. Matthew 21 Jesus comes, and he's addressing the corruption going on in the Pharisees and the, the temple. In Matthew 21, after the triumphal entrance, we get in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. My house is a house of prayer Is a reference to a passage in Isaiah, which is uh, in its context, also talking about some corruption going on in uh, the leaders of Israel. Then we get, you have made it a den of robbers. And of course, we also understand this. uh, It's from Jeremiah chapter 7. That the people are coming to the temple expecting it to be their safe space. That they can do all these evil things and then come back and, oh, we're safe because we're in the house of God. And again, no, that's not how it works. The people are corrupt. And we see later on the scribes, they come to him and they see all the things that people are saying about him and they're jealous. They want the praise that God is getting. They want the praise that Jesus is getting, and Jesus says, "Yeah, they're saying those things, and they're right." And they get really angry at him. Verses eighteen and nineteen. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, "May no fruit end ever come from you again." And the fig withered. The fig tree withered at once. This is a kind of a parable in a, a miracle that this fig tree represents Israel. That they were supposed to be a fruitful tree. And they weren't. They had failed. And why did they fail? It's again, the same reason they were scattered. Because they didn't have the kind of leadership that they needed. And then we get to the end of the chapter. And I can read verses 33 through 46. But for time I won't. It's the parable of the tenants. God had a field. He entrusted it to some tenants. And were they good? No. They were selfish. And what does it say in verse 41? He said to them, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Verse 43, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit. Verse 45, then the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable and perceived that he was talking about them. Jesus said, you were entrusted with God's people and you failed them. You didn't lead them in the way that you were supposed to, and you have caused devastating effects. You are not fit to lead these people anymore. I'm going to take over from here because you are not interested in leading the people, so I'm going to do it. And so as we ask ourselves, what do we do? Well, we started this with a question. Your friend says, look, there's corruption in the world, and you say, yeah, uh, but God's, God's dealing with it. And then they say, well, okay, okay. Well, Jesus came, and I understand that he kicked out all the shepherds, but what about all the people who are still oppressing God's sheep? And in the last minute or so, let me answer that. They're still big sheep, strong sheep, who are oppressing people. I mean, we can look at it in the world. You got elders. We've got evangelists. We've got all kinds of people who are using their power not for good. But God was patient with us when we were sinners. God cares about his sheep. And just as there were many sheep scattered, but God wanted to bring them back, so too today there are people, big sheep, who are using their power the way they shouldn't do it. But God was patient with us. He's patient with them. He wants them to come to repentance. But one day there will be a judgment. One day Jesus will come. One day he will judge righteously. And in that day, we need to be prepared. Prepared for when Jesus comes back, It sets the world as it ought to be, where the weak are no longer oppressed, where God is leading them, where Jesus' reign is entire. And as we anticipate that, let us say, as with John, in the last words of Revelation, amen, come Lord Jesus. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll now be dismissed to class.